You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Nick Ferguson, the former NFL safety in for Cordell Stewart today. On today's podcast, we're going to visit with Ian Rappaport of NFL Network and the Hall of Famer John Randall. Plus, we'll catch up with our weekly regulars, focusing on the Vikings, the Lions, and the Patriots. Brian, we're going to kick off the podcast today, speaking with Adoree Jackson, the playmaking corner for the Titans. Adoree, thanks so much for taking the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the show. It is our pleasure. I'm sure draft night was a whirlwind for you in Philadelphia. Cordell Stewart and I had a great conversation with you when you got the news you were heading to Tennessee. How has the season gone based on the expectations you had heading into the league? Uh, the season's going pretty well. I'm just thankful to be here you know, with a great group of guys, I would say, in, in my room, the defensive room. And, you know, the coaching staff that I have with Coach DeBow and uh, Deshae, you know, I feel like other guys, you know, for a rookie to play for, guys who got experience from Super Bowls, and you get Ron Lolo comes over, who's a veteran cornerback who has two Super Bowls, and you know all the other guys that we have here. So I'm thankful to be in this position, and you know I come to work every day, uh, appreciative of you know what the opportunity I have in front of me. Dory, Nick Ferguson here. Uh, we have a little something in common. Your DB coach Ronnie Bradford was uh, one of my coaches when I was with the Denver Broncos. And you just mentioned the great Dick LeBeau, who I've never had a chance to play for. But we know that he's uh, kind of orchestrated some great defensive units. But for you being, you know, at this point, week 12 of the NFL season, uh, what has really changed from you adjusting from the college game to the pro game? You know, like you said, from Coach Bradford, I think he did a really great job of helping me try to understand the game and then getting into the NFL, Coach LeBeau, just making, making sure I have everything down packed. And I think the biggest transition for me is knowing what the guys around me have, knowing how to play my leverage, what what I can do, what I can't do, and just the little things and the nuance of the game. So I think, you know, for having Coach LeBeau and Deshae, uh, helping me out and trying to mature, you know, in the quarterback position is not be as raw and just trying to tune me up. So I think that's one of the things that from these 12 weeks I've seen a great uh, difference or a great change in myself. You know, I watched them uh, from the first six games until now, and I can see a, a complete difference. So I think that would be you know, one of the things that has changed over the 12 weeks. Adore, like you, I'm a USC alum, so great to see you fighting on in the NFL. Uh, and folks know on. what you did on offense playing for the Trojans. I know the coaches in Tennessee make the game plan, but how much have you been enjoying getting the football in your hands, playing some offense for the Titans? I always enjoy it. I grew up playing uh, part one of football offense and running back, and I started playing defense in my sophomore year of high school. So I've always been an offensive guy at heart. So that's why when I came over the defensive side, you know, being able to track the ball and do all the other things. Um, so every time they, they call my name to get out there on offense, I'm just thankful, you know, to be out there that they give me opportunity, you know, to display what I've been doing all my life. Because um, it is such a, a rare thing to see, especially persons in college years where and then in, in, in NFL to be able to do those things. So uh, when I'm out there, I'm just always having a, a bunch of fun. Dory, you know, in this first year for you, you've had an opportunity to face DeAndre Hopkins and last week Antonio Brown, and this week it's T.Y. Hilton. As you look at the wide receivers week to week, what is it that you do mentally to help you prepare for the ever-changing game? Because these wide receivers, each one of them, brings something different to the game. 
It's just all about, for me, confidence, just having the confidence in yourself to understand that you can play this game, you can compete and, and go against the best. So um, every every day in practice or every day in the field room, just getting mentally ready because uh, that's going to be, you know, the thing you have to be mentally, know the film, uh, study it, see what they're doing, anticipate, and the tendencies because athletically everybody in the NFL can, can play ball. So athletically, you know, God bless everybody, you know, to be in this position to play, and then it just goes off your mental skills. Got to be there and ready to play. But I think confidence does does a great deal of helping you know people uh, succeed. Adoree Jackson of the Titans is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Adoree, all teams have personalities. What's the culture like in Tennessee? It feels like toughness is being displayed on both sides of the football. Yeah, I would say toughness is one of the things we preach. We want to be tough, physical. Uh, those two things that we talk about. But I think our personality. Uh, I think we just have fun. You know, when we're out there, just trying to have as much fun as possible um, for that sake because when you're having fun, everything seems to go in sync. Uh, you have fun, the guy next to you having fun, and then you can just enjoy the game, not think too much, not be tense or stressed about, oh, I need to make this play, I need to make that play. But if you're just having fun, living in that moment, uh, I think you know that's what we've been trying to do, and that's why uh, we were being successful as, as we have been. Dory, right now when you look at uh, the division the, the that you guys are in, uh, Jacksonville, they're 7-3, and three, you guys are 6-4. and four. What is it that you guys have to do collectively as a team to overtake Jacksonville and solidify position in the playoffs? I think for us, uh, what we need to do is just go out there and, and do what we're doing in practice, see what we see in the film, and just transition it into the game. So um, going out there, competing, and, and just winning the games. Uh, that's what I feel like we're out there making the same calls we're doing in practice. Uh, you just got to win the situations, I think. And in that sense, winning the situations more than other team does, then you have a chance of being successful. Dory, you played with Sam Darnold at USC, and he, of course, could decide to play another year of college football. Whenever he decides to go to the pros, what qualities are going to make him a special quarterback in the NFL? I think his playmaking ability will be one of the things, but uh, just his, I want to say, him being able to shrug off, you know, the negativity, the things going on throughout the game, because, you know, he can throw an interception from the ball, but that short-term memory that he has, he's going out there slinging it again, and it's going to get you a touchdown. It's going to put you in a position, you know, to win the game. So I think they're just going to get a great competitor and a guy that's going to fight, you know, no matter what. And you know, that playmaking ability goes a long way. Finally, let's address something very important, the My Cause, My Cleats campaign coming up. Your cause is breast cancer awareness. Why is this important to you? Uh, for me, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer, so uh, that's one of the things I always knew about it and, and you know, supported it throughout, but you know, then it hit me you know, firsthand. So uh, that's why it's very important to me. You know, I grew up with mama's boy, so it, it was one of the things where you don't ever want to see your mom you know, leave, you know, leave your life. So it just put everything in perspective, be more appreciative and be more grateful and uh, understand the best that you have in front of you. So you just have a different perspective of life. So that's why uh, breast cancer awareness is my call squeeze. Adore, we really appreciate your time. Love watching what you're doing between the lines. Keep it going in Tennessee, and thanks for joining us on the NFL on TuneIn. Thank you so much, you guys. Have a blessed one. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. When it comes to a beer brewed, they handle a Sunday full of touchdowns and sane pump returns, and I can't believe he caught that. Look for the light beer that's always brewed for more taste with only 96 calories. Miller Light, the original light beer, to be enjoyed from pregame to postgame. It's been a part of the game since it first showed up on the sidelines back in 1975. So when you reach for a light beer this game day, grab the one that won't fill you up and never compromises on taste. Miller Lite. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart.
Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's welcome in Hall of Famer John Randall, part of the NFL Legends community. John, thanks for taking the time. How are you? Great. Thank you guys for having me. It is our pleasure. Want to talk about your career and what's keeping you busy in a minute, but let's start with the matchup coming up tomorrow because you played on some tremendous defenses in Minnesota. What stands out to you about this year's Vikings, D? As you know, they just held the Rams' outstanding offense to merely a touchdown on Sunday. You know what? Everybody has been talking about Everett Griffith, and I love Everett, uh, his, his uh, adrenaline, his, his uh, excitement out there, but the key to our defense, i got to say, is Linval Joseph. Uh, up the middle, he's the guy who stops the run because we all know if you can't stop the run, you can't rush the passers. So, you know, my hat's off to Limbaugh. Uh, I texted him the other day and told me he's doing a great job and to keep it up. John, Nick, Nick Ferguson here. You, you had to uh, the opportunity of playing with some great wide receivers in your days with the Minnesota Vikings, and we just finished talking and highlighting Adam Thielen. When you watch him play, who, who would you say in, in your day, whether it was a t- guy you played with or someone you played against, that his game kind of reminds you of? You know, he plays. He, he reminds me a little bit of Jake Reed, and where he's he's kind of like that guy that you kind of always, since he's from a small school, you know, Mankato State, and uh, you kind of forget about it. And then uh, all of a sudden, he makes that big play, and uh, all of a sudden, you say to yourself. Why aren't we trying to stop him? And then all of a sudden, before you know it, when you are trying to stop him, it's too late. But, um, you know, he's a little bit like a Jake Reed to me, um, that guy, that, that deadly threat. But, you know, he's got amazing speed. And, uh, you know, uh, my hat's off to him because he's myself coming from a small school. It's just amazing that what these guys from small schools can do once they're given a chance to play in the National Football League. John, I want to dissect those parallels because Thielen, as you know, undrafted was cut initially, played on the practice squad. Let's go through the foundation of your Hall of Fame career. You were undrafted coming out of Texas A&M, Kingsville, not exactly Alabama or Notre Dame. Early on, how much did the fact that you went undrafted motivate you when you made it to the NFL? Oh, that was a huge motivation because, uh, you know, in my heart, I thought that I, I deserve a chance to play or just a chance to just to go out there. I can remember... Uh, saying to myself uh, when I got a phone call from the Vikings talking about uh, coming to play for them, uh, I said to myself, if I didn't do it, I would regret it for the rest of my life. And, uh, you know, I, I, from more, for most guys from small schools, you, you kind of fall in under the impression that since you are from a small school that you really don't belong in the National Football League. But then once you – if you do get in, you kind of – kind of falling at a category of that you won't be a starter because you're not from a big school. And it, it's kind of something that, for me, it just kind of uh, hovered around my head as if everywhere I went on the football field, I, feel, I felt as if I was still that Division two guy. And I took pleasure in it. And uh, when we got the draft picks coming in, the first round or the second round offensive lineman, my first question would ask, I would ask those guys, is, what school are you from? And once I figured that out, it was all of a sudden to show them what small schools could could do, and uh, it didn't matter if you were from a, a Division One or a Division Two school. It, once you get on that football field, it was an even playing field. John, the Minnesota Vikings are on a six-game uh, win streak, and you know just as well as anyone else 
uh, players start feeling great about themselves. They start listening uh, to the radio stations as they pat them on the back. <laughs> you know, if you're Coach Zimmer, you know, what, what is it you have to do mentally to keep your team, you know, on track? Because they have some tough games coming up. You know, the game tomorrow against the Lions, then at the Falcons, then at the at the Carolina Panthers. So so what does he have to do to keep his team mentally invested and trying to, trying to stay and be the first team in the NFL to actually host and play in the Super Bowl? I think one first thing you have to do is tell the guys is forget about those last previous wins and say that they don't matter. It's all about who's up on who's our next opponent. Uh, Tony Dungy used to do something that was pretty cool for us when we ever got uh, when we had a bye week. Uh, during that bye week, he would put a reel up of all our best plays and tell us how great we were, and then all of a sudden take it off and throw a reel up of all of our bad plays and. That was a way to bring you up and all of a sudden bring you down. So one of the ways is always tell the guys, doesn't matter what we did yesterday or last week, it's all about the next opponent. I don't care if you were all, you made all, all uh, uh, defensive player of the week, defensive player of the month, it's about what's coming up next. And this game in Detroit, it's, a, it's always, for me, was a tough game because when you got 60-some guys on a road trip on Thanksgiving Day, going to Detroit, you know somebody is calling home that night before or that morning of Thanksgiving and asking them what they're cooking, who's <laughs> making this, what, who's coming over, and uh, always a question of, hey, make sure you guys save me some turkey. And I always thought these games were, were more stressful than the, the, than the regular Sunday game because you knew somebody's mind wasn't really 100% focused on that game and more concerned about the turkey or the sweet potato pies. You get me hungry, John, but we're going to wrap up the show first. <laughs> Chatting with the Hall of Famer John Randall, part of the NFL Legends community. John, your style of play was so intimidating. You were able to terrorize quarterbacks, and your face paint stood out as well. When did that first start? How did it all come together? Oh, my God. That was such a, uh, it's a long time ago, but it, it got started when, uh, you know, we got guys from, like, from Florida, uh, from Florida State and, uh, and and University of Florida, these guys come in with all these traditions. And we had a couple of guys who came in the locker room on game day with some face paint, and they were just kind of like they were doing it like the military with the little marks across their faces. And they told me you had to join. I had to join in, so I took some face paint and just kind of rubbed it underneath my eyes. And as I was looking at these guys doing this, they were kind of really getting animated with it and. Uh, I started to just rub it underneath my eyes, and uh, it kind of morphed into what it was. But for me, being a superstitious guy that I that I am, I said to myself, if I got if I got two sacks doing that doing that stunt, type of stunt, then if I rub more on my face, then I'm I'm, I'm surely guaranteed to get three <laughs> sacks in the game. So from that standpoint, I had to keep doing it. John, if you were uh, the owner or the GM for the Minnesota Vikings. And, of course, you've heard uh, the, the chatter, you know, Sam Bradford, his ongoing injuries, and this contract is going to be up. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater with a gruesome knee injury, he's returned to practice, and then you're watching Case Keenum pretty much rise from the ashes like a phoenix. But if you're making decisions for that organization moving forward, what, what two quarterbacks or quarterback would you have kind of to move forward with your team long term? Well, uh, as of right now, I know I'm not the, the owner or the GM or the GM of the team. So, but if I was, 
you know, I would look at it as Keenum has been, he's been in there. Uh, all the, all of the teammates have seen what he's been doing. And when you got a guy who's hot, you can't take him out. And that's, that's be one of the, I, I would think, one of the biggest mistakes to do. You can't just pull a guy out. It's almost like being in Las Vegas watching a guy playing, uh, playing the casinos, and all of a sudden he's winning. You can't just pull him up and tell him to, just to leave and put somebody else down there. So it, it, it goes back to uh, back in the day with Michael Jordan with, with hitting his three, same way. You don't just pull him out. You let him continue to play. Uh, so for me, as if I was an owner, I would let Keenum continue to play. There will be time for uh, for us to change quarterback in the in the future, but right now is not the time to do that, especially in such a big game and that in such an important game too. Hall of Famer John Randall is our guest on the NFL on tune in. John Randy Moss among the semifinalists for the Hall of Fame announced last night. Undeniably, he should be a first ballot Hall of Famer in my view. But I want to pose this question to you. If some voters apparently have issues with Terrell Owens based on off-the-field issues, how do you think they're going to view Randy Moss for famously saying, I play when I want to play, and the numbers occasionally reflecting that? Well, you know what? For, for, for the way Randy played and the way he changed the game, I think that's a part of about when the, uh, looking at when a person gets in the hall and you got to ask yourself, did Randy Moss change the game? And yes, he did. And for his style of play, People may say that, and his numbers may have some uh, uh, negativity on him, but overall, the guy, played when he played the game, he definitely changed the game. I mean, you look when he was at Minnesota or when he was at New England, the guy was, was, a, was a player that you definitely said to yourself, how can we stop a slow Randy Moss down? But without a doubt, from, from playing with Randy, and from the time we played in the, against the Dallas Cowboys on the Thanksgiving Day, Randy Moss, to me, is one of the top receivers ever played a game. And I definitely believe he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Well said, and I think he should go in with the first ballot distinction. John, as we wrap it up, it's always a highlight, a weekly moment that we savor on this program, chatting with a member of the NFL Legends community like yourself. What does being a part of that Legends family mean to you? Uh, man, one of the biggest things is the brotherhood. Uh, and that's that's a brotherhood of uh, when you uh, playing against somebody, but at the end of the game you shake hands, you hug each other, and being in the legend program, that allows me to continue this brotherhood with uh, all my uh, different opponents and guys I play with. Because one of the first thing I want to do is when I see a former teammate or a former player, is ask a guy how he's doing. And being a part of the legend program, it enables me to help my former teammates and my and my uh, just say my. Uh, former brothers who played in the National Football League to help those guys out in any way possible. And so the Legend program is doing that, and we're growing momentum, and I'm excited to be a part of it. John, it was great to see you at the Super Bowl the last two years. Look forward to catching up in person again in February in Minnesota. Thanks for coming back on the show. Hope you and your family have a tremendous Thanksgiving. Go Vikes! You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Experience the excitement of the NFL as it happens with NFL First and Goal, exclusively on TuneIn Premium. Touchdown! From week one to week 17, jump in and out of the action every Sunday with Nick Ferguson and me taking you from game to game with live home calls as teams are threatening to score. Take it to block. Brady tosses. Touchdown! Hear every big play. 
Hear every game-winning drop. Here's a touchdown. Catch NFL First and Goal every Sunday starting at 1 Eastern, only on TuneIn Premium. Upgrade today. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast. It's time for our weekly conversation with NFL Network insider Ian Rappaport. Now, it's time for NFL Network reporter Ian Rappaport. It's the Rap Sheet on the NFL on TuneIn. Ian, we appreciate the time. We have to start in Kansas City. How surprised are you the Chiefs have signed 32-year-old Darrell Rebus at this stage of the season? I'm definitely surprised. I'm not even going to pretend like I saw this coming. I mean, I, I knew Rebus wanted to play. I knew this was something that he was thinking about. I knew that never waned. I knew he had some... You know, some things that were sort of in the works or possibilities. But, you know, until a guy decides to do it, you never quite know. Um, And so the Kansas City Chiefs, who, you know, struggle a little bit, obviously on defense have struggled to cover, have one of the top cornerbacks ever to play the game coming in and and playing for them. So the Chiefs out of nowhere signed Darrell Rivas, and, and, you know, I would expect him to play on Sunday. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk and controversy with what's happening in Buffalo and uh, Nathan Peterman now. Uh, Sean McDermott is going back to Tyrod Taylor. But uh, not having impact wide receivers outside the numbers has been a problem, no matter for whoever is the quarterback. But Kevin Benjamin went down in the game against the San Diego Chargers. Uh, what more do you know about his injury and will he be available this, uh, this Sunday for the Buffalo Bills? Well, first of all, on on Tyrod, you know, it seemed like this was the decision the organization had to make. Uh, you know, Nathan Peterman just was not ready. They like him. They still really like him. Just was not ready. And, and for a team in the playoff hunt, couldn't couldn't put a quarterback back there who put that kind of product on the field. Um, so, you know, that that was obviously one of them, and one thing. And then, you know, with Kelvin Benjamin, it looked like a serious injury. Uh, it was definitely scary, but no ligament damage at this point. Uh, seems to be minor, and he's considered day-to-day. You know, didn't practice today, but from what I understand, has a shot at least to play on Sunday. Taking you around the league with our NFL insider, Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Ian, what can you tell us about Tom Brady missing practice today in New England? He's got an Achilles injury. Uh, It's really just described to me as being sore. Uh, I was told he is fine. Uh, That was how it was described to me, just that he's fine, nothing to worry about, no panic. Um, just something they want to get under control. And, you know, getting him off his feet uh, is, you know, one thing you want to do. So didn't practice today. And the fact that, um, you know, the fact that Brian Hoyer got got uh, a lot of the snaps and sort of reacclimated himself probably didn't hurt either. Ian, you know, Pittsburgh Steelers coach Mike Tomlin made very light of the situation with Juju Smith-Schuster saying that his hamstring is somewhat of a, a small issue. And I know as a former player, when you're dealing with cold weather and soft tissue injury, there's nothing minor about that. Uh, is this a, a serious injury or is just like Coach Tomlin said, is just small and minor? Well, at this point, it's something that kept him out of practice today. And, and, you know, for a guy who has been one of the breakout stars of the league this year, mainly because of his ability to run, you know, not being able to run today and having a hamstring injury is something to, to watch for. And, you know, the other part of it is the Steelers are, you know, going to be in it at the end this year. They look like a team that's going to be primed for a, a really big December and potentially a really big January. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they sit him out just as a precaution you know, they have depth. They have Martavis Bryant. They were going to be fine. You know, this is a guy they're going to need uh, for the home stretch. 
Finally, Ian, nothing says the holiday season like who's getting fired in the NFL. So we know that in-season coaching moves usually are done only to make a statement to a fan base. Ownership saying, we understand what's going on here. We have to address this with urgency. Do you think all the coaches under pressure will make it to the end of the season? I don't know. Uh, and we obviously have seen some coordinators go this year. And, and you know, that was we see, we've actually seen three now already go. Um, and, you know, the, the reason to fire a coach is two. One, because you just can't stand to have the guy on your sidelines anymore and you want to turn your season around. We're past that. That's not going to happen now. So now it's just, do you fire a guy to get a jump on the process? And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a week 15, 16, 17 firing um, just for a team that wants to get ahead of it and say, we're going to start our coaching search a little early, maybe talk to the college guys, um, you know, maybe talk to the college guys who are out there or just kind of get a jump on it. And because I've worked with you at NFL Network when I was hosting that morning show in the middle of the night, I know you'll be working tomorrow, but yeah. hope you and your family have a wonderful holiday and we'll chat with you on Sunday on NFL First and Goal. All right, look forward to it. Thank you. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Hi, this is Ned Coletti from MLB on TuneIn, inviting you to check out my new audio book, The Big Chair, today on TuneIn Premium. The day Frank McCourt made me the 10th general manager in the long, proud history of the Los Angeles Dodgers, November 15th, 2005, was monumental for the Coletti family. I've been blessed to spend the last 35 years in Major League Baseball, all with iconic franchises, the Cubs, the Giants and the Dodgers, where I was a general manager for nine seasons. In the big chair, I let listeners in on the intricacies of being an executive and a GM of a major sports franchise, share the process behind the trades, free agency, and the deals, shedding some light on how the money and decision making really works. I'll also take you deep inside some of the thought process behind some of the major decisions that led to success and titles, along with heartbreak and failure. If you're a baseball fan, come for the inside and grit. If you're a sports fan, stay for the heart. Catch every exciting chapter of my new audiobook, The Big Chair, today on TuneIn Premium. Upgrade today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now Nick and I are joined by Tori Petri from DetroitLions.com. Tori, let's go back to the conclusion of that game in Chicago on Sunday. Matthew Stafford, another stellar fourth quarter. You're around this team on a daily basis. What do you think it is about Stafford that allows him to play his best when it matters the most at the end of games? (laughs) Yeah, he does have a pattern of that, doesn't he? I think it's really this whole team, though. I mean, they just kind of have a mentality, backs against the wall, that they just really know how to turn it on when they're in those situations. And um, it's really been amazing to watch, but I know that something that they're working on is starting fast as well, and that's been an issue for them um, in the past, and that's kind of gotten them into some of the situations that they found themselves in with needing to come back uh, in the fourth quarter. And so um, I know that that's something that they're working on because you can't have the kind of start that they had against the Browns and the Bears uh, when they're up against the Vikings on Thanksgiving. Sorry, Nick Ferguson here. You know, speaking of the Browns and the Bears, we watched the the Detroit Lions defense give up some uh, plays that they didn't really give up early on in the season. And I guess in the move to help out the guys in the back end, uh, Dwight Freeney was signed off of waivers uh, because he was just released by the Seattle Seahawks. Bringing him into the fold, I know that he and Jim Caldwell have some familiarity, but how does this move actually help 
uh, the Detroit Lions as they tried to surge, make a late surge in the back half of the season? Well, the Lions definitely have uh, struggled when it comes to stopping the run in the last couple of weeks. Um, they gave up 200 rushing yards to uh, the Browns, and they did struggled against the run again in Chicago. Those rookie quarterbacks that are mobile and have been able to get outside of the pocket on them um, and get some yards on them that way, that has uh, hurt them in the past couple of weeks. And I think Haloti Nada going down has been part of that. Um, he's a key part of that defensive line. So uh, he really is missed in that defensive line. So um, any help that they can get, especially with Vigianza's status uh, unsure for this week, um, I'm sure they'll take Chatting with Tori Petri from DetroitLions.com and the Lions team channel here on TuneIn. Tori, kicker Matt Prater, tremendous once more on the road in Chicago on Sunday. Is he embraced on this team more than some special teams players are <laughs> around the league? Because undeniably, Prater is one of the best players on the Lions roster. Yeah, those guys love Matt Prater. I mean, they know that they have a money kicker in Matt Prater. He is so clutch. Uh, There really isn't a kick that he can't make. He has made so many incredible ones for them. It's his fifth field goal past 50 yards this season, and it's his 13th game-winning field goal in his career. So the guy is, is just clutch when it comes to those kinds of situations, and that one was even more impressive because of the weather factor, and the players in that locker room love him, and they will tell you uh, if you ask them any day of the week that uh, they're glad to have Matt Prater as a teammate. Tori, big divisional game of tomorrow is the first game of the three games on Thanksgiving. Minnesota Vikings, Detroit Lions. Now, we watched last week as the Vikings kind of dismantled a Los Angeles Ram team that was red hot. And knowing as though the Detroit Lions, you know, we know what Matthew Stafford can do, but you're talking about a 28th-ranked run game. Now, how is that going to help bring balance to Matthew Stafford and what is maybe Jim Caldwell's kind of counter to not being able to run the ball? Well, they actually ran the ball really well against the Vikings the last time they played them. Uh, Amir Abdullah had a career game with 94 rushing yards. Um, So it is kind of interesting that they haven't been able to get their run game off the ground as much in later games uh, when they had that great game in the run game earlier this season. So, I mean, this Minnesota defense, though, is no joke. So they're, you know, Every bit is a threat, you know, even though the Lions still had a good run game against them the last time they played them, they still got to watch out for that this time around, too, because this is not an easy defense to run the ball against. It's not an easy defense to pass against either. Um, They're just really good all around. So uh, the Lions have their work cut out for them on Thanksgiving because that Rams offense, like you said, we saw what what they did to them. That Rams offense was uh, so explosive coming into that game, and they really shut them down, particularly Todd Gurley. Corey, can you give us a sense of the atmosphere every year surrounding the Thanksgiving game in Detroit? We know the history. We know the heritage. Does it feel like a playoff game, especially given the marquee matchup coming up tomorrow, expanded halftime? There's a lot more going on than your regular Sunday game. There really is, guys. It's so much fun being at Thanksgiving Day games at Fort Field. It just really is a cool tradition that Detroit has. I mean, they own this Thanksgiving Day game. You know, it started with them, and, uh, you know, the the vibe in downtown Detroit, like you said, is like a playoff game. So many people come out. For so many people, this is part of their Thanksgiving Day tradition, and if they aren't at the game, they're watching on TV, and, uh, you know, the players know that and feel that as well, just 
the, the way that all eyes are on this game and with the halftime show and there's always a great national anthem and there's just so much um, so much hurrah over this game and in a good way and um, it really is cool to see the city of Detroit come together on the holiday and uh, I can't think of a better way to spend it. All right, I know it's a working holiday for you, but enjoy it because I think it's going to be a tremendous game between Minnesota and Detroit, and we'll chat with you next week here on the NFL on TuneIn. Sounds good. Thank you. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. When it comes to a beer brewed, they handle a Sunday full of touchdowns and St. Pump returns, and I can't believe he caught that. Look for the light beer that's always brewed for more taste. With only 96 calories, Miller Light, the original light beer, to be enjoyed from pregame to postgame. It's been a part of the game since it first showed up on the sidelines back in 1975. So when you reach for a light beer this game day, grab the one that won't fill you up and never compromises on taste, Miller Light. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we roll on on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, we welcome in Mike Wabshaw of the Vikings Entertainment Network. For those of us in the national media, Mike, is it time to table the conversation that Case Keenum might lose his starting job? <laughs> I think so. Um, you know, it's it's kind of... It's one of those deals where it's it's got legitimacy to it, you know, because you know we've all seen the games and everyone knows the you know the situation with you know with Teddy and with Sam's injuries and um, you know Case you know has just done a great job of of handling the the spot um, you know as it's been presented to him and and that's all you can really ask of your of your backup is to go with the flow, prepare for games like you're going to be the starter, and when your name and number is called, you step in there and, and compete and perform. And most of the time for backups, you know, it's for two or three games, and you get the starter back. But the Vikings, for a few seasons in a row now, have experienced a long-term injury uh, to their quarterbacks, so their backups have had to play for an extended amount of time. And Case has just handled it with a plum. So, um, and now he's got the quote-unquote hot hand. Um, but I really think he's done a nice job of kind of transcending just having the hot hand. He's act, he's just playing well. He's a good player, and um, you know. So I don't think it's sticking with the hot hand. I think it's playing the guy who gives you the best chance to win. That's Case Keenum. Oh, man, you, you, that's music to my ears. I have to be honest with you, Mike, when talking about this, because my, my partner and I, Brian Robert, we go after this all the time, and I reference Case Keenum as Case Keenum because I think he's playing that good of football. And, and let's yeah. be transparent. If you put Teddy Bridgewater in right now, for whatever reason you choose to, after not playing for a year and a half, how much confidence do you really have? And not saying that you don't like him, not saying when he played he wasn't good, but with what this yeah. team has right now with chemistry – and, and let's just say a, a level of continuity, Case Keenum has to ride this thing out until the wheels fall off. Am I correct? Well, well, yeah. I mean, you know, and, and I want to kind of, I want to kind of craft this carefully because it should not come off as a criticism of Teddy. But, you know, Teddy is coming off of a long layoff, a lot like your players are during the offseason when they come back to the offseason program in April. You know, they don't play – and function at the same capacity that they play and function at during the middle of the season, right? I mean, they're a little rusty. Um, Balls are hitting the ground. Um, They're not reading through their progressions as quickly. 
And it's it's not because they've lost touch or they, they don't know what they're doing. It's it, it's just a, a muscle memory thing where you haven't been doing it, so you got to ramp it up. You know, and and that's where Teddy. You know, that I mean, T- Teddy's now been practicing for for several weeks, so he's he's getting there. But you know, he he doesn't look like a quarterback who's you know on the the back nine of the season, so to speak. You know, he looks like a quarterback who's still kind of getting ready for training camp. To be expected, he had a 15 month layoff, coming off an injury. He's not going to look like a quarterback who's um, in the groove. But Case is. Case has been at this since April. He's in the group. Um, he's been practicing and playing every day, and so um, and so that's what Case looks like in practice and in games. And in practice, Teddy looks like a quarterback who is steadily ramping it up. So they're into. And you know what? It's kind of very similar to to where Jarek McKinnon is and where Latavius Murray is. Because if you remember Latavius. We signed him knowing he had to have a, um, a foot surgery, um, and he was going to miss the off-season program and probably most of training camp. And as it turns out, he missed all of training camp um, as well. And so Latavius has got the look of a player who's now just starting to hit full stride as we get into week 12, not as a player who's really grinding through the last part of the season. You know, because Latavius was coming off of a layoff too. So Latavius and, and Teddy are at different stages of a season than most of the other players because they're coming back from injuries. Yeah, with Mike Walbshaw, the Vikings Entertainment Network and the Vikings Team Channel here on TuneIn. Mike, it is the holiday season, so it pains me to mention Gary Anderson's name, taking you back to the 1998 <laughs> NFC title game. I'm doing in this context kicking matters. I don't have to tell you this. You know what Blair Walsh failed to do in the playoffs a few years ago. So with that as the backdrop, should there be concern about Kai Forbath who missed two field goals on Sunday against the Rams? Yeah, I I think, I think there should be just because he missed two kicks and and you don't want to miss any of your kicks. But, you know, to me, his body of, of work since we signed him about this time last year has been too good to let two kicks in one game worry me. So big picture, no, I'm not worried. This week though, I'm worried because you gotta get that you gotta get it corrected. You can't have two more missed kicks uh tomorrow in Detroit. Can't do that. Uh because then then you start to wonder if it's gonna mess with your head. So um no, you know he's he's twenty two of twenty five on the season and he's like thirty seven of forty since we signed him last year. So to me the body of work is too good to really I think he's going to be just fine. And, uh, you know, speaking of kickers, guys, you know, when you look at this matchup, I mean, Matt Prater has been dynamite, especially against us. He had a 58-yarder to tie the game last year uh, when we played him at home. And then he had a game-winning kick at the end of the game, I believe his time expired in the game at Ford Field last year. So uh, Matt Prater has been killing us. And, uh, and so you're right, kicking matters, and we know that as, as well as any franchise, and we know that as, as we go against the Lions and their really good kicking game. Mike, this defense, this defense has really been good. Let's just say over the past few years. Last year there was a lull. I would say you have North Turner who ends up just leaving after the fifth game of the season to Coach Zimmer yeah. having to go to the hospital because of his eye. And and I think things kind of got unbalanced throughout the entire football team. But truthfully, this defense has really been playing good football, let's just say maybe over the last two, maybe two and a half years, to where yep. right now with the health that they have in place, everybody looks pretty excited with Smith and Kendricks. We can go on and on. Newsom, uh, Newman, excuse me. When you look at how they're actually playing, 
how well is this offense and defense playing off of one another to where no one's really giving this team too much credit because of the quarterback in mm-hmm. Case Keenum, but they arguably are playing some of the best and most balanced football amongst all the teams in the National Football League. Would you agree with me on that? Yeah, I agree with you on that. And I think the reason that the reason people, in my opinion, the reason people aren't rubber stamping the Vikings as the team to beat, uh, there are two reasons. One is Philadelphia has a better record than the Vikings. Let's just, let's just get you know let's put that out there. I mean, Philadelphia's lost one game. The Vikings have lost two. So um, the Eagles are the bona fide, legitimate team to beat in the NFC. They have the best record. But secondly, if you wanted to construct a case. Uh, for the Vikings to be the team to beat, despite uh, losing one more game, you got to deal with the Case Keenum thing, and people just cannot get over the fact that it's Case Keenum who's the quarterback for the Vikings. That is going to prevent a lot of analysts from picking the Vikings to be the team to beat if they make the playoffs, and that's fine. That that's okay. That can, the Vikings, Mike Zimmer, and Case, they can use that to their benefit. They can do the chip on the shoulder. They can do the us against the world. They can do it's never good enough. They can use all of that to their benefit. But going back kind of the premise of your question in this defense, I mean, it's the backbone of the team. You know, this is a defense, guys, that at, in home games this season, they've held their opponents on average to 10.8 points below their season scoring average. The Rams came in averaging 33 points a game, and they scored seven against the Vikings. You know, um, when the Packers came in, they were humming. They were coming off um, a really impressive string of victories. And the, the Vikings knocked Rodgers out, and they hold that offense down. You know, they held Drew Brees to 19 points. Uh, the Saints are averaging 30 a game. So um, this, this defense is playing dynamite. I think the biggest key is continuity. There are a lot of returning starters from this group. Um, year after year, they've really got a system in place and they can all rely on each other. They know where the other players are going to be at all times. And Mike Zimmer really, really stresses fundamentals, alignment, um, technique, hand placement. You know, they're, they're so rote on this defense that Mike Zimmer can get down to the nitty-gritty in practice and fine-tune every single detail. And when you get lucky and stay healthy, um, you get in a spot where you can worry about those little things. Mike, thanks so much for the great information. We look forward to chatting with you next week again right here on the NFL on TuneIn. I do too, guys. Thanks for having me. We'll talk to you soon. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Country Roads, your all-access pass to everything Nashville. There's a lot better music selection. Marin Morris. Kenny Chesney. Florida Georgia Line. Sam Hunt. Hey, we're old Dominion. We're all we written in the same. Plus news and interviews with your favorite country stars. Thomas Rhett. You're not giving more than you can handle, and so every day just kind of has its own challenges. I'm Kelly Sutton bringing you the hottest new country songs on Country Roads. I'm Luke Bryan cruising the country roads with you on TuneIn. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We're back on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, spotlighting the reigning world champs from New England with Andy Hart of Patriots.com Radio. Andy, let's start with the news that Tom Brady was not at practice today. Ian Rappaport of NFL Network just told us on this show, his sources telling Ian it's an Achilles issue, but not expected to be that major based on your years with the club should we be concerned that tom brady didn't practice today no not at all um you know it's it's disheartening i guess for patriots fans anytime he's not out there but 
The reality is he plays through everything he always has. He always will. Um, it is an Achilles injury. I don't think it's a big deal. Um, you know, I, I guess if you're a Patriots fan, you say, wait, they had Monday and Tuesday off, and then he's not ready to go on Wednesday. And, you know, Thursday's Thanksgiving, oh, geez. I, you know, they can talk themselves into a lather, but you know, this is a guy that hasn't missed game uh, games other than a torn ACL in 2008. Uh Brady plays through everything, so Tom Brady would be out there on Sunday, and you know why would he not be? He's playing as well as he's ever played, and he's got a uh, questionable Dolphins pass defense on the horizon, so he can uh, continue to build his MVP case. Andy, you know Nick Ferguson here. You know earlier this year we watched the Patriots defense uh, struggle, and we've never seen a Bill Belichick or Matt Patricia defense struggle the way that they did. I know they had some uh, key uh, new guys uh, joining the roster, but. Uh, moving forward, when you look at this defense, we already know what Tom Brady and that offense brings to the table, but the inability to consistently put pressure on the quarterback, how could that hinder them as they move forward? Yeah, that's certainly um, the potential to be a fatal flaw for this team, and I don't think it's going to change. I don't see any way that that pass rush is going to improve dramatically over the course of the, the end of the regular season or into the postseason. They just released Cassius Marsh, who they traded for to open the year, and I, I think they had hoped was going to be uh, a factor, you know, as a sort of off-the-line edge presence who could rush a little bit. He was just not very good all season long. He couldn't set the edge in the run, never really got after the quarterback. Um, they're going to live and die with what they have right now, and that's a, a limited pass rush. That's Trey Flowers with an occasional pressure. That's Dietrich Wise, the rookie, with an occasional pressure. Um, but really, in, in recent weeks, they, they've gone the other way. And they've dropped into coverage more, rushing three um, with more regularity. They're not blitzing as much. They do a few twists and stunts up front. But it's almost like they've come to the realization, we're not going to get there, so we might as well have an extra guy in coverage, and we're going to win with coverage. Now, you're right, early in the year, the coverage wasn't very good either. But um, you know, I, I just don't see any way that that pass rush is going to make any dramatic improvement uh, over the course of the next you know, two months as you head towards a potential uh, Super Bowl. So they're going to have to do what they've done lately, and that's timely plays, you know, a couple turnovers here. You know, you, you have the Raiders last Sunday driving to try to cut the score to 14-7 right before the half. You get a forced fumble. And then what happens? Brady turns it into three. They come out of the you know, locker room for the third quarter. Brady puts another seven on the board, game over. Uh, and that's the way this team needs to play. They need to play from ahead. They need to make a few timely plays on defense, a few timely plays on special teams to let that snowball. Because we saw early in the year, if they get themselves in dogfights, they're not really capable of getting pressure on the quarterback, getting third down stops. So, you know, there's sort of a formula they need to play with here. Chatting with our friend Andy Hart, Patriots.com Radio, the Patriots team channel here on TuneIn. Andy, I know Bill Belichick was not thrilled with having to go to Mexico City as a viewer. It was an entertaining <laughs> game to watch, especially based on what the Patriots were doing offensively. Let's go back to that Brandon Cooks touchdown in Mexico City. Simply stellar. How much of that was blown coverage? How much of that came down to his pure speed? It's both. I mean, they obviously blew the coverage, but, you know, they targeted that. They set that up. Um, that's a Raiders pass defense that's been putrid all year. Um, no interceptions, uh, allowing, I think, a combined 111 passer rating to, to everybody they've played. Um, and the, the Patriots have made a concerted effort, concerted effort to make more plays down the field. They've made more plays down the field with Brandon Cooks because that's his game. Anybody who watches his game, and he's having a good season, but he's not great on some of the short throws, the in-cuts. There's been drops. There's been some 
times when he and Brady aren't, aren't on the same page. But when they've pushed the ball down the field, they've made good plays. And Brady's worked on his deep ball for the last you know, two, three, four years to try to do that when he has that opportunity to do that to Gronkowski. Um, but, yeah, there's no question that Cooks brings a new element to this offense. And in some ways, I think it was a reaction to the Super Bowl, you know, those quote-unquote man beaters and, you know, guys that can just win matchups. I think Brandon Cooks can do that. I think Rob Gronkowski can do that. When you add those two to what the offense was a year ago, that's how you have Tom Brady playing so well right now at the age of 40, and that's how you have the Patriots, you know, near the top of the league in points scored and helping their defense by getting leads, making plays, and allowing them to play from ahead. So um, that's the game plan. Get the ball down the field to Cooks and Gronk, score some points, and, and get off to fast starts. Andy, when we look at the Patriots' offense and we look at Tom Brady and you're talking about Brandon Cooks, a great addition to uh, the organization, this is not a team that traditionally is known for running the ball. Uh, How long can they continue to do that? Because James White seems to be the go-to guy, especially on the check-down plays inside the red zone. But no LeGarrette Blount, no one to really pound the rock, especially in a four-minute offense. Can we just view the Patriots as just being uh, a team that utilizes the pass as though it's a run play? Yeah, they do use, obviously, some of that short passing game as a running play. Um, Really, the disappointment there is, you know, they brought in Mike Gillisley as a restricted free agent from the Bills. They let LeGarrette Blount go. I think they thought not only could Gillisley be what Blunt was a year ago, but might be better. Because a year ago, Blunt had 18 touchdowns, led the NFL, had 1,000 yards, but he was below four yards a carry. And I think they that Gillisley, who led the NFL last year at 5.7 a carry as a backup, could do more of that in the Tom Brady passing offense. You know, when you're facing defenses that are fearing Tom Brady more than anything else, you should get opportunities to make some plays. Gillisley just never did it. He averaged 3.6 yards per carry over the first half of the season. He's been a healthy scratch the last two weeks. He's the odd man out, and that's left Deion Lewis as the primary runner. And he's done a decent job. You know, he's gotten, I think, 10-plus carries, six straight games, up around 4.7 a carry on the season. So are they going to have a traditional big back who can pound it out in the four-minute offense, as you mentioned? No, they are not. But I think they believe that if Lewis stays healthy, he can be good enough, give them just enough running game, to balance out the offense when you talk about Brady and the short passing game and the screens and all that. So um, it, I think that's how they're going to have to go because I don't think Gillisley is going to get much of a chance to be that big back down the stretch uh, other than if there's an injury situation because uh, he just hasn't produced and they have too many other bodies that are producing right now. Finally, Andy, how do you see the MVP conversation? Tom Brady putting up incredible numbers. He's won it twice in his career, not since – 2010. We know last year, not only did Matt Ryan have staggering stats, I think some voters would not embrace a candidate who could not play the entire season. I'll put it that way. Forget about the Deflategate nonsense because the holiday's coming up tomorrow. Carson Wentz has (laughs) been tremendous. Brady's right there. How would you forecast the race at this stage of the season? Yeah, right now I think Wentz is the front runner. Um, When you look at what he's done as a second-year player with a young head coach and doesn't necessarily have the depth of weapons, in my opinion, that Brady has when you talk about Rob Gronkowski and Brandon Cooks. Um, I think you have to really give a lot of credit to the way Wentz has played. Anybody who watches the way he plays, it's not just throwing the football. The guy's a gamer. He is not afraid to put his head down, get a first down on the run. I actually think it's probably going to catch up to him at some point, and he's probably going to get banged up. But he is a, uh, 
a unique gamer that I think really gives everything he has to that offense and what Doug Peterson's trying to do there. So I think you have to say he's the front runner, but Tom Brady is right there. I mean, you can certainly argue he's having as good a year as he's had in his career, leading the NFL in, in almost everything. You know, just past Alex Smith for passer rating, but yards, attempts. Um, he's got 22 touchdowns and only two interceptions. He's, he's been nearly perfect, and that's while getting banged around quite a bit. Early in the year, he was on pace to be sacked more than he's ever been sacked in his career. Those numbers have come down a little bit of late. Um, but I think he's number two right there on Wentz's tail. And if Wentz flips up, if he gets hurt, if they lose a couple games and he has a couple, you know, not rookie wall, but second-year wall, sophomore slump down the stretch, then, then Brady will pounce on it. And then I think, in my opinion, the dark horse candidate is, is Russell Wilson mm-hmm. with, with just the injuries they've had in Seattle and the offensive line and everything that he goes through. Every time I watch a game, he's hitting Jimmy Graham in the hands and Graham's dropping it. Um, to me, Russell Wilson is carrying that team, and I think he's really done an admirable job there. He probably won't win it because he probably won't have the stats to match a Brady or a Wentz down the stretch. Um, but I would put him third on my ballot, and you know, certainly Brady is ready to collect one if Wentz slips up. Wilson, the leading rusher for the Seahawks as well. Andy, as always, yep. we appreciate the information. Hope you and your family have a tremendous Thanksgiving, and we'll chat with you next week on the NFL on TuneIn. Same to you. Happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy the turkey and stuffing and all that goes with it. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Experience the excitement of the NFL as it happens with NFL First and Goal, exclusively on TuneIn Premium. From week one to week 17, jump in and out of the action every Sunday with Nick Ferguson and me taking you from game to game. We'll have home calls as teams are threatening to score. Take it to block. Brady tosses. Touchdown. Hear every big play. Hear every game-winning drop. Here's a touchdown. Catch NFL first and goal every Sunday starting at 1 Eastern, only on TuneIn Premium. Upgrade today. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's spotlight this week's home team hero, Adam Thielen of the Minnesota Vikings. It's NFL No Huddle with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We're highlighting the players who were lucky enough to play for their hometown team, making them your home team hero, presented by Miller Lite. Adam Thielen, the pride of Detroit Lakes, Minnesota, played his college football in-state at Division II. Minnesota State man Cato was not drafted, and he was getting ready for real life. He interviewed to work for a dental equipment sales company, but at the same time held on to his football dream. So he attended the Viking rookie tryouts, which also included the team's undrafted free agents, did well enough to get signed, but he was cut after training camp, landed on the practice squad. Nick, let's pause there. You're too modest to talk about all the hard work you put in to make it to the NFL. As an undrafted player, went to the Canadian League and NFL Europe. Can you identify with Adam's journey? Absolutely. The one thing people have to understand, when you look at Adam's story, it is a story of resilience and, and perseverance. And the fact of if you have a dream, you should not let anything stand in, in your way. And, you know, looking at the fact of the hurdles that he had to overcome and route to doing what he's doing right now. And I still find it uh, fascinating that no one's really talking about him as being a top elite receiver in this league. He's second in yards behind Antonio Brown of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And every time you look up, uh, the connection between Case Keenum and Adam Thielen continues to, to show up. Uh, I believe he had 16 uh, plays of 
uh, plus 20 or more. That says a lot about Adam Thielen and who he is deep down and uh, his his work ethic. So, uh, yes, I'm proud of what he has accomplished. And in my time, really quickly, you know, I had NFL Europe. Adam Thielen did not have NFL Europe. So to see that he is still with the Minnesota Vikings and performing at a high level, that is testament to who he is as a player. Still, it took many years to get the opportunity because his first two seasons in the league, he shined on special teams. Nick, how important can working hard in that third of the game be for a player who's not seen as a marquee performer early in his career? It is very important. Uh, When I was with the the New York Jets, uh, I had a special teams coach, Mike Westhoff, and the way that you – they view it in the league, you have to be able to cut your teeth somewhere, especially if you are not a starter. So that means you have to become some special teams ace to at least buy time for yourself to develop as a DB. In my case, as a wide receiver in Adam Thielen's case, anything you can do to stay on the roster until you get that moment. It may be an injury uh, when someone goes down and you're asked to go in and you start making a couple of catches here and there. Now the organization has confidence in you, and the more plays you make, the more plays they start to add, and the next thing you know, there's a package uh, created essentially for you and named after you to try to give you more plays, and Adam Thielen continues to do it, and he's showing right now he is a top wide receiver in the NFL. Focusing on Adam Thielen today, his home team hero presented by Miller Lite. Thielen finally got his chance to pick up extensive playing time when Stephon Dix got hurt last year, and Thielen hasn't looked back. It took a while for national pundits like myself to figure out, is it Thielen? Is it Thielen? We know his name now because he's repeatedly getting into the end zone. Nick, when you're looking at the physical component, what are the skills that make Thielen so effective? First thing that jumps out to me is route running. Uh, usually you have wide receivers, like let's say Torrey Smith. He's a, just a vertical threat. He can't run every route on a route tree, but Adam Thielen can definitely do that because when you look at the wide receiver, it's like can you get in and out of your breaks? Can, do you have the ability to make every route on the route tree look the same? He ran a route last week against the DB4, uh, the Los Angeles Rams, completely had him to open up and as a DB that you always coach, never you want to open up the gate because now that gives the wide receiver a two-way go. So you caught, Thielen came, got in inside of him, caught the, the hitch route, and then took it for, I believe, a 70-yard touchdown. To me, those are the things that make you know, Adam Thielen you know, great as a wide receiver. He's, he's really he's patient. He's very fluent in his route running. And if you're Case Keenum or any quarterback, for that matter, in the NFL, you want guys that you can depend on, that you know they're going to be right where you want them to be. They're going to make all the catches that you know that you need them to make because their hands and their route running is reliable than the game-breaking speed. Majority of the times when you look at Adam Thielen, you don't look at him as a game-breaker that make one guy miss and he's off to the races. And the guy that comes to mind uh, from my childhood is a guy uh, who played with the, the, the Seattle uh, Seahawks back back in the day, and he he was he was he was great uh, at the wide receiver position. Talking Steve Largent, right? Steve Largent, yeah. Steve Largent was great at the wide receiver position. Didn't really look at it, and defenders would look across the line of scrimmage and say, "Well, there's no way that Steve Largent." is going to run past me, but Adam Thielen is that same type of guy, but he has a little juice in his speed as well. Adam Thielen, today's home team hero presented by Miller Lite. Now, if we're just looking at the stats, undeniably, 
Thielen belongs in the conversation among the most productive receivers in the league. He's putting up numbers like Randy Moss did at the height of his run in Minnesota. But Nick, considering in many ways this is the golden age of wideouts, so many marquee receivers like Antonio Brown, Julio Jones, you can't really put Thielen in that category. But I think you got to parse it this way. Are we talking about talent? Are we talking about output? Because if we're just looking at the numbers, Thielen has been dynamic. Yeah, but well, if you're talking about talent output, for me, that is the same thing. And the, with, with those other guys, Antonio Brown and uh, you know Julio Jones, who you talked about, the one thing that's a little different for those guys opposed to Adam Thielen, you have potentially Hall of Fame quarterbacks throwing them the ball. So when you look at Case Keenum and say, well, who is Case Keenum? And can Case Keenum essentially do this on an everyday basis? When Sam Bradford went out earlier this season, I know fantasy owners were thinking, okay, well, what are we going to do with Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs? But Case Keenum continues to show up, and as long as Case Keenum is healthy, that healthy relationship between wide receiver and quarterback will continue to to flourish. And we're going to see you know, more talk about Adam Thielen, especially if the Minnesota Vikings get into the playoffs and get deep into the playoffs. Going to pick this game at the end of the program, but in advance of that, Go back to when they met in week four in Minnesota. Lions came away with a 14-7 victory. Now, some of that could come down to that was the embryonic stages of Case Keenum being a starter, getting a firmer command of the playbook. Don't want you to pick the game yet, but what's the outlook heading into Detroit? Because we know the Lions have defensive issues. Feels like whomever you think is going to win this game, the final score is not going to be 14-7 like it was in Minnesota. No, it's not. And... For, for, I know we're going to give the scores later, but I'm, I'm going to have to go with uh, the Minnesota Vikings. Watching how that defense, and when you look at Coach Zimmer's defense, they, they've been up and down over the past two years, and sometimes you don't know what you're going to get, but they came out ready to play. They knew exactly what was on the line, and the Detroit Lions, they're still trying to fight for their uh, playoff lives as well, but watching the Minnesota Vikings front seven, control and dominate the line of scrimmage against the Rams, that's going to be really difficult for Matthew Stafford, especially knowing as though he has a run game that's you know listed at maybe the 20th or 22nd uh, rushing uh, offense in, in the league. If you can't run a ball and bring some kind of balance and make maybe that guy from the secondary come down in the box and kind of respect that run game, it's going to be very difficult to find your wide receivers on the outside. And Matthew Stafford has three great wide receivers, but if you cannot run the ball, and Amir Abdullah has shown that he has the potential to put the ball on the turf, to me that's going to be difficult for him, but well, work well for Adam Thielen and Case Keenum. Few final thoughts on Adam Thielen, today's home team hero presented by Miller Lite. I'm going to ask you to pick an adjective to sum up Thielen and explain why. I'll go with tenacious. I love perseverance. I love resolve. I love hard work. And I think because you play in the league and you personified all those attributes, fans watch games and they say metaphorically, I would cut off a toe to be in the National Football League. We all have these dreams. <laughs> Rarely do people put in the hard work to get it done. So if I'm going with one word to sum up, Adam Thielen, it's tenacious. What adjective do you want to pick? I'm going to say sensational. Uh, lo- looking at his story, how he came into the league, uh, how he's fought, he's fought tooth and nail to stay in the league and carve out an opportunity for him to get on the field. And then uh, not just being another wide receiver on the field, but being a playmaker. When you're a guy that can come from uh, the realms of special teams and make your way 
onto a roster and you are a major contributor, that, that's, a, that's a big deal and that should be commended. So a sensation is the best way to uh, describe him. And like I said, you know, I liken him to a guy like Steve Largent, faster, better route runner, but he just, he's very explosive, uh, deceptive speed, but a sensational wide receiver that can make the big catches for you when you need them. Adam Thielen having an exceptional season. He'll try to keep it going tomorrow on the road in Detroit. Traditional Thanksgiving Day matchup divisional game between the Lions and the Vikings. Adam Thielen, today's home team hero presented by Miller Lite. NFL No Huddle highlights your home team hero presented by Miller Lite, the original light beer. Miller Lite, hold true. NFL No Huddle returns right after this. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. When it comes to a beer brewed, they handle a Sunday full of touchdowns and St. Pump returns, and I can't believe he caught that. Look for the light beer that's always brewed for more taste. With only 96 calories, Miller Lite, the original light beer, to be enjoyed from pregame to postgame. It's been a part of the game since it first showed up on the sidelines back in 1975. So when you reach for a light beer this game day, grab the one that won't fill you up and never compromises on taste. Miller Light. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's provide your fantasy fix. Fantasy football has become a major reality for millions of fans. Makes him off to the 30. He's gone. He's gone. What a move. It takes skill to win your fantasy championship, separating the zeros. He goes to the near side, and it's picked up. From the fantasy heroes. Down the middle, it's caught over the shoulder in the end zone. Buckle up your chin strap for the fantasy fix. Let us say hello to our friend Holden Kushner of TuneIn Sports. Holden, hope you're feeling better. And we know that Latavius Murray put up robust numbers Sunday against the Rams. How much you buying a moving forward starting with tomorrow's matchup against the Lions? Love me some Latavius Murray tomorrow, gentlemen. I really do. I like him a lot. He's getting red zone touches. He's getting goal line touches. I like uh, Jarek McKinnon a lot in points per reception, but when it comes down to it, if I'm playing standard or half-point PPR, Jarek McKinnon's my guy because of the touches that he's getting uh, and and the chances of getting a touchdown. It has been Latavius Murray inside the five and inside the run zone. Holden, Nick Ferguson here. If Matt Moore plays, what's the kind of uh, value for Landry Jones and Kenny Stills? Uh, well, Kenny Stills has been on fire. He's got a tough matchup this week. I love Jarvis Landry, though. Jarvis Landry has scored in six of the last seven games. So uh, Landry out of the slot has a pretty good matchup as far as uh, a quarterback matchup there. He's got Jonathan Jones. Now the problem for Kenny Stills is he's got Malcolm Butler, and Butler's been playing much better as of late. Devontae Parker's going to draw Stephon Gilmore. So I think the play there, no matter who the quarterback is, is Jarvis Landry. The other thing that's interesting is today Adam Gase was asked who's going to be the quarterback and still no sign yet. So I think that's interesting. Just tells you how bad the situation is. But there's a chance for some garbage time points in this game, and I think Landry is a guy that uh, I like a lot. Holden, what are you doing with Golden Tate in Detroit considering that Marvin Jones has emerged this year for the Lions? I'm just going to go back to the matchup. I mean, this is a really bad one. For Marvin Jones this week, um, and I don't think he's a guy that is matchup proof. He's no DeAndre Hopkins at this point. So right now, uh, Marvin Jones, Xavier Rhodes, I'm going to go Golden Tate tomorrow, I think with a ton of volume against Terrence Newman. Uh, I, I've just been really, really impressed with Marvin Jones, too. And Stafford's obviously feeling really comfortable with him, but I wouldn't be shocked if they let 
uh, Tate, you know, work underneath as opposed to letting Jones continue to crush like he's been doing the last few weeks. Golden Tate's my play from that that team. For those individuals who drafted Doug Martin, and we know he missed some games earlier in the season, but he's back in the lineup, but he's not really producing the way that he produces last year. If you have him on your fantasy team, are you suggesting we stick with him or we sit him and part ways with him? I mean, I, I would think about parting ways at this point. You know, is it possible he has one big game left in him? I suppose. Now, the one thing that you got to like is that he's getting touches. That's the most important thing is that he's on the field and they're giving him the ball. The problem is, here's his yards per carry the last three weeks. Less than one yard, .9, then he goes to 2.6, and then he had two yards per carry last week. That's just unacceptable. It's absolutely horrible. They're not using him much in the passing game either, which is something that they had used him a little bit more in the past. I mean, personally, I'm looking on the waiver wire. I don't know. I don't, I don't have Doug Martin anywhere, and I'm definitely looking on the waiver wire for somebody else that could help me out because it has been a wasted season for Doug Martin. Talking fantasy football with our friend Holden Kushner of TuneIn Sports. Holden, Case Keenum has played surprisingly well, and I'm a Case Keenum denier. I'm just waiting for him to implode. I believe the term is, I'm not good at math, regression to the mean. That said, what's yeah. his fantasy profile? Well, I mean, he's been great so far. If, if you're playing DFS this weekend, FanDuel, DraftKings, drafting, that stuff, um, you know, he's probably the number two quarterback I look at behind Kirk Cousins. Now, this Detroit defense uh, has not been anything special against the pass here, but let's just look at the numbers for Case Keenum, all right? Um, he, he's not throwing many interceptions. He's got 12 touchdowns to five interceptions this year, so that's nice. Uh, the yards per attempt, seven, about seven, so, you know, he, he's, he's decent there. He's got some air yards under him. He's throwing, let's see, 288, 304, and 280. So Case Keenum's coming along now. Uh, the teams he's faced, Cleveland, Washington, and the Rams. You know, the Rams may be a little bit uh, – I'm not surprised as well. So, uh, let's face it, Case Keenum is – I'm with you. He's due to come back down to earth when that's going to be. I mean, maybe it's not this week. Maybe it's against Atlanta, and they're better secondary. But I think I'm with you. The next two weeks, he's coming down within the next two weeks. I think this week, though, he's an okay play. So the Packers five and five on the season and just got, you know, derailed last week at home by the Baltimore Ravens. Are you still using any of the Packers or you just kind of all those players are totally off your radar for the rest of the season? Depends on the matchup. I mean, you know, Williams last week, as long as you're getting uh, some volume, I think you can use their running game. Uh, not this week, though, not against Pittsburgh. Here's the one guy that I like, and that's Devontae Adams. You know, he's, he's getting a ball like Jordy Nelson was getting the ball with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, so far, Hundley's looking his way. He's got, uh, what is it, now 20 targets over the last three weeks, and uh, he's got a touchdown, 90 yards, 126 uh, over the last two weeks. Devontae Adams is the one guy from that offense that I'm still going to be using um, at least in this game against Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh defensive special teams, though, should have a field day Sunday night at home. Fantasy fix with Holden Kushner. Let's wrap it up with what's going on in Kansas City. They're in free fall a month ago. We're talking about Alex Smith winning the MVP award. As you know, he had a shaky game on the road to the Meadowlands Sunday. What's the outlook moving forward? That starts with a home date against Buffalo on Sunday. Well, let, let me ask you guys. The, the offensive line, what has been the health of the Kansas City Chiefs offensive line recently? Nick, are you listening? 
Really hasn't been that good in, in my opinion because uh, at the beginning of the season, Alex Smith looked spot on for MVP, but it hasn't looked that way as of late. Yeah, because their offensive line has been banged up. And I think I can really look at, you know, look at that right now and say that's one of the reasons for the regression to the mean, Mr. Weber. Uh, the other thing is Alex Smith has turned back into Alex Smith, uh, although he's turned the ball over. I mean, maybe he thought he was somebody he wasn't. He, once he stops turning the ball over, but – I think that, and I think they had a healthy offensive line. Kareem Hunt was playing out of his mind. Uh, that's come back down to earth. For me, the offensive line has uh, been the issue here. Alex Smith is not uh, the guy that should be leading the league in passing yards. They need to go back and do what they were doing before. Andy Reid knows better than me. But I, if, if I was running that show over there, I'd say, hey, our offensive line's a little banged up. Let's keep running it through Kareem Hunt. Give Sharkhandrick West a couple of more opportunities and stop stop going downfield as much. Play a little play short. Let uh, Tariq Hill and, and Travis Kelsey do what they are paid to do. Tariq Hill, how about that? Yeah, Tyreek Hill has been terrific this year. So um, that, that to me is the the answer. Just looking at the offensive line being banged up. I think they'll get it back on track. And as a matter of fact, this might be the week to do it with that opponent coming in, coming on just complete disarray in Buffalo. Finally, most importantly, are you feeling better? Because the breaking news was last week. I was told you were on yeah. the IRR, and I was not expecting that development. Yeah, me, neither was I. Kind of just woke up, uh, and then all of a sudden it was off to the hospital. So That's not Everything's good. better now. Okay. No, no, no. We're doing okay. We're back. We're back, and I'm going to be going back to the hospital here probably. Well, my wife doesn't want to predict, but, I mean, I'm feeling the next 24 hours or so. Wow. To have another addition to the family. So oh, we'll my see. goodness. Now, how long is the paternity yeah. leave? Most importantly, how long do I have to do updates? Because it's all about me, Holden. Oh, probably for good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, special time for you and your bride. I hope everything goes according to plan. And are you hoping to have the good news this weekend. What's ideal in your world? Because I know you want to watch football tomorrow and Sunday. Tuesday, you got to watch college football on Saturday with the rivalry games. Right. Next Tuesday. And I've been saying this. You're going to have a kid do it Tuesday or Wednesday. You know, because if you're going to do it Tuesday, just make sure we get out. But if you do it Wednesday, make sure you do it by noon so that we can come home and watch football on Thursday night. Because clearly football comes first. Good luck, Holden. Hope you guys have a great holiday. Thanks, guys. You too. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. Tune in your everything audio app.